You ready? Yeah, boot it. Hey Matt, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? I'm too. So, uh, Strange Days. This was my film choice. Um, it was. Uh, before we talk about it, um, any any what was what was your reaction upon seeing it? Was it interesting to you? It was kind of harrowing on the first watch, actually, um, which you did warn me about, but then mm. I uh, I misunderstood. On the second watch, I was kind of able to appreciate it a little bit more, um, sort of analytically but yeah i think i thought it was um a great piece of work and i kind of feel sad that it um it didn't do that well but also i kind of understand why it didn't do that well and i don't feel that those are artistic reasons it's more economic really interesting choice uh very good film excellent that's that's good i know what you mean by harrowing i think that's exactly the right reaction if you don't feel like that when you encounter the text encounter that film for the first time then there's uh Maybe you, you know, you're a bit uh, numb to the world. So yes, good on you. And I think it's a really serious film, and we'll get into into why those harrowing moments are serious pieces of thought about the world. I guess. Yeah. Uh, a little later on. Yeah. Hey, Macy, this is uncharacteristic behaviour for you, Miss Icewater in her veins, super chill. You pushed me too far, Lenny. You made me lose it in front of a client. I could get fired. Are we still friends? I don't know, Lenny. You see, friendship is more than one person constantly doing favors for another. I know that. I, I don't hustle my friends. Hey, what but is you just suck people along with your schemes, your scams, and your slick act. We're still buddies, aren't we? Don't just be using the time that I'm talking to be thinking about what you're going to say next. You listening? Yeah. Lenny, your ass is always broke. You go from one score to the next, and you're getting strung out. You don't even see it. It's your brain, so you do whatever the hell you want with it. But not on my watch, you understand me? I got a child, I got rent, and I got an ex-husband doing hard time who doesn't send me a dime of support. I'm just trying to hold on here. I, I, I know you wouldn't be saying all this if you didn't care about me. Thanks, Mace, really. You're getting out with the Mitsu, and that's the end. So, Dave, do you want to tell us a little bit about the film? Yeah, cool. It's so Strange Days, 1995, directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by James Cameron of Avatar and Aliens fame, and a guy called Jay Cox as well. So it's it's kind of a film noir sci-fi. I guess that's a good way. It's film noir cyberpunk, people might call it as well. And it involves the story of a guy called Lenny Nero, who's a bit of a I mean, he's a bit—he's a bit of a sleazy waster, to be brutally yeah. honest. Um, and he gets beaten up and hurts <laughs> so many times during the film. It's uh, that's yeah. in a sense that's quite gratifying because he is that kind of cat. You know, like let's say some people have got faces you want to punch, and he—he he really <laughs> kind of has that face to all of the people in the film, even the people that love him. It's very abrasive. Yeah. And he's sleazy, and he's in... anyway. So Lenny is a is um a dealer in clips, clips that are recorded via this 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 machine called a squid, which is a let me get this right a superconducting quantum interface device, and it's um this kind of thing that sits on your head, 
and it records from your brain your perceptions, your affects, your, uh, your the way you feel when you're encountering something. So people use it to create pornography and various things like that, yeah. where a really intense experience is, and they're recorded, and then they're on the black market. Apparently, the device was, I think, developed by the FBI to replace the you know wires and stuff like that. But then it hit the black market. So that's what he he's yeah. doing. His next cop. He's down on his luck. I think it was CIA, actually. Was it CIA? Nah, that's more like it, yes. They, they sound more like yeah. they'll be using something like that. Along the way, there's two significant people in his life. One is Faith, his ex-girlfriend, played by the wonderful Juliette Lewis, who wants to become a rock star and has kind of got a few problems in, in that domain. So we'll get on more on, on, on about Faith a bit late, later. And then there's Mace. Mace it has got our shit together. In a real way, is the, is the centre of the film. Mace is played by Angela Bassett, and she is just phenomenal in this. She's when she's on screen, she commands the frame, and you, everything she says, the way she looks at people, you know, it just fills you with awe. She's just got this kind of magnetic personality and authority. Authority—that's the word I really want. She's got an authority in the world, you know. She's quite a serious character. You know? So those are the those are the three main characters if you like and and the story involves i think there's there's kind of three levels to the story really the first one or one of the the levels is look this is set two days before the end of the last century um i think um when one of the opening shots is of 1 a.m 30th december 1999 it comes up um so it's two days to go if you like before we go into the next century and you've got this this sense of end of days apocalypse rapture all of these words are used and yeah so the mise-en-scene of the set in LA so the mise-en-scene of the streets of 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 LA are just a riot they're a carnival you know there's looting going on there's partying going on crime um everything everything you can imagine everyone's on the streets everyone's out 24 hours and it's and everyone's losing control a bit and so it's got that got a real chaotic feel to it and um and so that's kind of one level of the film and i think we can talk about that a little bit the the next level is we've already talked about it the squid this idea of memory and holding on to thoughts because lenny is still hung up on his on his ex on faith and you know you see these kind of moments of him watching clips that he'd taken when he was with her you know, as a kind of form of holding on to her, not letting go. And so I think there's a real mm. dialogue here about memory and how memory can be a trap and all of those sorts of things. So that, those, are, those are two sort of like threads that go through the film. And of course, the third, in a sense, is the one that's, if you like, front and centre and the real narrative of the film. And that is, there's the murder of a rapper and there is a serial killer going about killing women. And these sort of crimes are kind of resonating with each other throughout the film, and that kind of drives the narrative forward. This is your life, right here, right now. It's real time, you hear me? Real time. Time to get real, not playback. You understand me? She doesn't love you anymore. Maybe she did once, I don't know, but she doesn't now. These are used emotions. It's time to trade them in. Memories were meant to fade, Lenny. 
They're designed that way for a reason. Have you ever been in love with someone who didn't return that love? Yeah, Lenny. I have. Didn't stop you from loving them, right? Or being able to understand them or forgive them? I guess. Didn't stop you from wanting to protect them, did it? Let's talk about memory first. We should start with the past. Or oh, one of the sort of the grounds of the premise of the film is this this squiddy squid technology, the um the ability to record someone else's memories and then play them back so that you live them as though they are your memories. You know, as does the the main character. Uh, Lenny says when he's trying to sell this um, experience, you know, it's not, it's not a recording, it's life. You know, it's, it's yeah. as good as life. So it's sort of like going, not just um, revisiting your own memories in this visceral way, but, um, you know, living other people's memories, going to places that you've not ever been before. So I've been sold these experiences on tapes. Well, not tapes, they're actually mini discs for some reason. Uh, I'm sure money changed hands for that. <laughs> Cynical sod. In a way, it, it really nails what the internet will become. Oh, go on. I mean, okay, we don't literally record our memories on tape and then relive and then see others. But if you look at what, you know, I'd say even the camera phone rather than the smartphone and how that's linked into social media, you know, the, the photographs we take. Don't want to spend too much time on this point because, you know, a lot of people have made similar ones. But, you know, if you go on Instagram in particular, I think, and you just sort of see these glimpses into other people's lives and the, and the photographs of places that you've not been and the emotions that they're having. There is still a kind of digitization and distribution of our experiences and our memories. And just as when you look at the stars, you see in the past, when you're looking at in an Instagram feed or a Facebook feed or whatever, you were seeing into the past, the pasts and memories of other people when they've sort of said what you know what what they did with their day and how they're feeling and expressed in views and and showed you pictures of their cat most usually that's what i do is i just put pictures of my cat on the internet and i think this film's exploring obviously through a different technology but exploring that idea that our experiences themselves rather than becoming true memory which would be something that fades and goes into the past where even though we can relive it, we can never, well, even though we can recall it, we can never relive it. Um, this technology allows memory to remain in the present, which allows us or allows Lenny to remain in the past to an unhealthy extent. So one of the things, I mean, sort of bracketing out the issue of, you know, for entertainment and for pornography and other reasons, listening, replaying other people's uh, memories. Lenny's personal use of this technology is of recordings he took when he was with Faith yeah, and still with her. And I, mean, I think anyone who's been through a breakup knows the difficulty it is to um, move on and to go and start thinking about the future rather than the past that didn't work out and sort of escaping it in a sense. What, you know, the risk of just sort of like dwelling too much in, what happens and thinking, well, I'll never have another experience like that. Da, 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 da. Lenny does that, but also he literally, through this technology, just goes home and plays these old um, videotapes of him and his girlfriend um, going out on dates, making love, all of all of these, all of these things, which is not that much. I mean, the modern 
um, equivalent would be going through your ex's Instagram feed and just and sort of or just looking at the pictures you've got on your phone and and just sort of wrap it up. The the film through this technology is thinking about the dangers of um, digital memory and how it can be a hampering force to move on or to do new things within our lives and sort of um, sort of get us stuck in a stasis. A bit like when Max, um, the, uh, the best friend of Lenny, um, says he thinks the world's going to end because we've already consumed all ideas, we've done all, every type of bubblegum, we've got every political system. Where can we get any of the new from? But really, it's, the, it's more of a Nietzschean point, but it's the lingering memory of all of those other ideas which might make it difficult for us to think inventively because we're so trapped in the way things have always been or used to have been that we can't think of how things could be. Yeah, I used the word the trap there, and I've, I've got that written down, you know, memory as a mm. trap. Um, May says, you know, echo, you know, everything you've said there is kind of unfolds from the film. Um, May mm. says at one point, memories are meant to fade, Lenny. Um, you know, they're yeah. designed that way, I think she says. You know, and you, you could take the point. The, the, uh, and I think you're exactly right with the, it's a really early scene when he goes home, before, before kind of the whole narrative kicks off for him at least. And he goes home and watches mm. this tape of Faith and they're roller skating, they spend an afternoon in bed. It, it, while they're in bed, it's playing the Bob Marley Three Little Birds song, and I misheard the lyrics from "Of Melodies Pure and True," and I I, I had to go and look it up because I heard it as "Of Memories Pure and True," and in a sense, you know, the this mm. recording device, uh, our memories are faulty as as much as anything. Yes, yeah? they colour things. Whereas what what we've got here, our memories pure and true. Yeah, the misheard Bob Marley. Yes, yep. and. <laughs> it, what it what it made me think of really was this is even worse to a certain extent, yeah. and, and you know just to just to develop Macy's point philosophically, so to speak, you know, um, it reminded me of Nietzsche in the uses and abuses of history for life, and he talks at one point about forgetting and the importance of forgetting, you know, saying something along the lines of. Look at the cows in the field chomping away. They're in today. They don't get hung up on the past. You know, they live in the yes. present, all of this, that, and the other. And we need to learn to do that. Forgetting is really healthy. It's really healthy yeah. to us. And it allows us, as you were saying a little bit earlier, to, to move on and to, and to take mm. the past and reshape it and remold it and use it for something else, you know. Even unconsciously, yes. Even unconsciously. So this film's really exploring that. In, in a sense, it's quite ahead of its time, as you said, with the internet. And you know, when people put that on, they become absolutely. I mean, the way they're mm. filmed and and the reactions they get and the affects they're displaying through their bodies, you know, can be quite horrific for them if it's something horrible, you know. And I think it, it's looking at that horror of memory. Let's call it the horror of memory. Now listen, I want you to know what, what we're talking about here, okay? This is not like TV, only better. This is life. It's a piece of somebody's life. It's pure and uncut, it's straight from the cerebral cortex. I mean, you're there, you're doing it, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're feeling it. What kind of things, exactly? Exactly anything. It's whatever you want, whoever you want to be, okay? I mean, you want to go skiing without leaving your den, you can. But I'm assuming that a guy like you, 
You want to go skiing, you fly to Aspen. That's not what you're interested in here. It's, uh... it's about the stuff that you can't have, right? The forbidden fruit, hmm? Like running into a liquor store with a 357 Magnum in your hand, feeling the adrenaline pumping through your veins, huh? Or, um, you see that guy over there with the drop-dead Filipino girlfriend? Wouldn't you like to be that guy for 20 minutes? The right 20 minutes? Yeah, and I can make it happen, and you won't even tarnish your wedding ring. Sounds good. See, I can get you what you want. I can. I can get you anything. You just have to talk to me. You have to trust me, okay? Trust me. Because I'm, I'm your priest. I'm, I'm your shrink. I am your main connection to the, to the switchboard of the souls. I'm the magic man. Santa Claus is the subconscious. You say it. You think it. You can have it. You want a girl? You want two girls? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you think is, what you're, what you're curious about. You want a guy? Maybe you want to you be a girl. Hey, think of that. Be a girl. See what that feels like. I mean, maybe you want a nun to tie you up. It's all doable. Talk to me about costs here. Okay, now, before we get into numbers, I want you to try a taste, okay? I got, I got a deck with me. Right here. Step into my office. I know, I know the thing, it's, it's sort of related that Lenny says when talking about this technology, is he says he's selling experiences, which I also think is quite, I mean, maybe prophetic is the wrong word because it is a process that had already been happening for a while, but, you know, we've increasingly come to think about art and indeed everything, as an experience. So rather than thinking of going on holidays, going somewhere to see what it's like and spending time with people you, you know or your family or whatever, it's an experience. You know, I'm going to go, and the product I will get from that is an experience. I was employed for quite a long time as a student experience officer of students at university. It was What was being sold was not an education, but it was the experience of having been at university you know the cinematic experience which again i think really comes out of marketing of like trying to get people to go to cinemas rather than just um watching things at home although really what all they needed to do was to charge you 20 quid to stream them whereas you can pay five quid to watch them in the cinema and then people will start going which is certainly what it seems like uh, over lockdown i'll probably cut that out but i can't believe how much they charge you to stream the movies at home that are at the cinema I uh, leave it in. We are a cinema podcast. <laughs> that yeah. is appropriate. Well, I can remember. I mean, okay, this is something that might not go in. Um, but if it does go in, I'll leave this bit of me saying it might go in. Right? I think it was. I think it's View. Although maybe the other chains do it as well. But I just noticed that you know you go to the cinema and they start playing the adverts, and then they start playing the trailers, and then you get like a final thing where. You get this film, which is just meant to show off the technology of the screen and the the speakers and stuff like yeah. that. So it's sort of like you would ne- it's sort of stuff you'd never get in a, a film usually, but you know, sort of sort of really pushing the the fidelity of the speakers to its limit and um, all of these like fancy effects and stuff like that. And it's all about you know the the Sony something or other 4K experience and things like just trying to make you feel like the cinema itself is something tangible. When really the cinema is just the window through which you see the film. 
it's the film that you're there to see. It just it just really sort of struck me as you know someone who gets irritated by um, his fetish of the experience. You know the, 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 that it's not what you do when you go on holiday or, when, or what you see when you go to the cinema. It's the it's the very fact of having done it that gets counted as this thing called an experience, which is then sold on top of that. Yeah, I like I like that point. It's not the learning that you have at university. It's the experience of having having been there and which you know i mean the thing is if in in common sense language the student experience is probably just getting drunk for three years whereas what what's meant by the student experience as a um is sort of i actually saw it um in a um in a booklet pamphlet released by the bill and melinda gates foundation when i was in this job trying to understand what it was they described it as the sum of each individual interaction you have with the university from the beginning to end it's just it's just a weird way of looking at things, and this is all part of the the idea of things being frozen in memories and memories and not really not not allowing the memories to fade. They sort of get trapped in the present by this uh, the technology that Lenny has. But equally, you know, this is what's happening to experiences. So what happens if you you freeze a memory and it becomes an experience, and then that experience is something that you can trade and share as part of your personal brand on social media or or sell to a dealer like Lenny to um sell to um yuppies who want a new thrill although i, I haven't really got any experiences that uh, lenny would want to buy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> driving mr lenny it's gonna be a big night can't you feel it the energy in the air there's money to be made there's dreams to sell please to pedal see that is so unenlightened i sell experiences the way I see it, I'm performing a humanitarian service. I probably save lives. I want to hear this part. <laughs> Look, everybody needs to take a walk to the dark end of the street sometime. That's what we are. Now, the risks are out of line. The streets are a war zone. Sex can kill you. So you slip on the troads, get what you need, almost as good as a real thing, a lot safer. Porno, face it. You sell porno to wire <laughs> Harsh! Harsh and untrue. My clients are professionals. They're people with tastes. Some of them are even celebrities. Yeah, what celebrities? Oh, the guy from the news. He does the weather. Well, that counts. There's kind of two two things I think that are, that happen, and then they kind of dovetail. It, you know, one of the things as you're watching the film is how do these two storylines fit together? And eventually they do. But that's kind of one of the yeah the tasks the film sets you to think about that. I mean, that's part of the noir. Uh, thing isn't it so it's where you don't really know what's going on absolutely it's because you're always in the subjective viewpoint of the detective in the early noirs yeah which again folds back on this film with the squid you know the opening scene of this film is somebody running it's showing Mm. what they are experiencing as they go to jump you know escape the police go to a robbery escape the police just try to jump a bit between two buildings and that remind me of a film called dark passage which is from 1947 towards the end of the real classic noir and it's again it's another it's another um bogart and and bacall kind of film noir i think it's the third one they made yeah. together and this is shot the first part of it's shot from the perspective of of bogart but it's it's done because he's going to get plastic surgery. When he removes the bandages, it then is Bogart, and then the camera looks at him, if you see what I mean, <laughs> up to that point. So it's yeah. motivated. But, yeah, I mean, what, it's, what they're doing there is putting the cam. The camera is there re- reflecting the way in which the, the kind of noir film works, that you as a subject are in the world, 
and you can't know the plot. They're, you can't see the, the kind of metadata that's going along that some films will show you the kind of crime being done over there and all of this and that and the other. This develops mm. that. It's not just like that because in particular we've got the Mace character and and Lenny, who are who are involved in a number of things. But it's definitely got that, mate, absolutely. I mean, actually, sort of thinking about what, what you said about, um, you know, in, in, in the classic, the early noirs anyway, you only see things from the uh, perspective of the of the investigator. You know, that, that it's already quite a radical thing that this film's doing with the, the Squiddy recordings, because what's happening is the Lenny has been given things from other people's first-person perspective. So it's it's actually he oh, does yeah. get to see the murders. He does get to see these things. So it's sort of like because of this sort of ossification of memories and experiences, they can be transferred to the noir detective, and he does get to see it from someone else's point of view, but never from a um, god's eye point of view. Yeah, never the con- context like fragments. That's really good, Matt. I really like that. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. There is that bit in um, The Big Sleep where Bogart is outside of this house. He's been trailing someone, and suddenly there's a gunshot, and then a car, like a couple of cars, like sort of like run off, and he gets inside, and there's a body on the floor, and the daughter of his client is posed in a compromising position in front of a camera, which has no film in. He's got no experience of what's in there. You can only infer what's going on, whereas Lenny's equivalent situations, he does actually get the recording of what happened. He gets to. Mm. be the person who was in the room whether he wants to or not yeah and you so you, you get these you get the he gets the fragments but he doesn't get the context in which they fit in which is kind of even more mm-hmm. on one hand it's even more confusing tell me I, I can't tell you you gotta see it I, I'm not doing it I know what you think about the wire but you gotta see it it's that important This has to be your first playback. It's all right. Keep keep your eyes closed, or you'll see double. We get a, a woman called Iris, who's an old friend of Faith's and who still hangs out with Lenny. is 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 trying to escape two cops that are chasing her, and they're brutal. These two cops. Yeah. And at the same time, we, we've we've heard about, and it's quite you you kind of put these things together. We've heard about that a rap star called Jericho One, and he's a member of his band, uh, the Prophets of Light. They're called brilliant name. Um, uh, hmm. Another member of his band called Replay. Another brilliant name. Some great names in this. Um, uh, have been shot and they're dead. Uh, you know, and and Iris is has got this evidence, and she keeps she keeps trying to give it to Lenny, right? And it, things keep getting mm. in the way. So, and he's not really interested. He's not really switched on. He's never really switched on until he has to be. Yeah, they, they keep failing to to have the moment where they realise what the crime is. What and and it's when Iris dies, and somebody gives Lenny a tape, gives Lenny a squid tape. Mm. Of Iris's murder, and it's beyond a murder. It is a sexual attack, a murder, and also it's even worse than that because there's the way in which it captures up her emotions as well with her wearing a device. So it's really brutal. Yeah. It's really horrible. And Lenny's reaction to that, which is obviously put there in the script and the film, 
is you know is exactly appropriate. He falls out the car after watching it and just throw just throws his guts up on the street. He's absolutely horrified. And you so you've got these two things going on. You've got this. Eventually, Lenny will find the tape and find out it's two cops that um, pulled up Jericho one and his friend, and they were they were mouthy to the cops, so the cops shot them. Yep, and Iris escaped was with the rappers, and she's got this recorded on a squid device. So the ki- let's the, the killing of Jericho one and replay is really integral to this film, and one one of the things that resonate with real life in LA at that time, because 1992 we have the Los Angeles Revolution, as some call it, as others call it, the LA riots, in the wake of the Rodney King incident, where some uh, policemen beat up. Um, an unarmed black man, and then they were let off during court proceedings, and then LA exploded off the back end of that. And that's obviously playing into a lot of the end of millennium stuff. So we've got the yeah. the, the rap star Jericho One is out an outspoken critic of the police. You see clips of him on TV after he's been killed, like they they run um, clips of people what they what they've been saying when you know, when they die. And he's talking about the LA uh, police force is a, is a paramilitary organisation. So when he's pulled over and being cheeky and mouthy to the police officers, they realise who they've got with them, this guy, yeah, who's always coming yeah. down on the police, calling them names and all of this, that and the other. And it's their anger and bile that just just blows up. And so you've got all of this stuff and that's, in a sense, that's why they get killed, yep, because they are black. And because they are critical of the police, and because even yeah. when being pulled up, they're failing to show respect. In other words, narratives we we that are still around today. Yeah, I mean, th- in that way, this film still feels incredibly relevant now more than ever. Maybe you know how I feel. Are you asking me how I feel? We felt Jericho. We listened to him. The LAPD is a military force turned against its own people. We live in a police state. The mayor and councilmen sit up in their offices with their social programs that don't work. They're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. But a new day is coming. 2K is coming. The day of reckoning is upon us. History is and begins again. Right here. Right now. Right on. To the end of all things. So then we've got the other the other side of it, where Iris is the witness and she becomes a, a victim of a killer. It's the most horrific murder you can imagine, as, I, as I've talked about. Yeah. What you've got there is misogyny. Yep, you've got this this yeah. line of misogyny that goes through that is everywhere. Yep, it's Lenny's like it. He talks about w- when he's asking people to record porn. You know, use younger women, not your mum, and that kind of stuff. Yep, he's 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 a sleazy mm. character. He's not a likable character. You know, as again, as it coming out of film noir, these aren't action heroes. You know, that the, the with a big paragons. Yeah, paragons with great teeth and all of that sort of stuff. And that's why I think the film's really clever because. Lenny isn't the centre of the film. Mace is. And she's both a woman and she's black. And I think the character of Mace just dovetails those two storylines. Yeah. Society, American society, and how 
racism and misogyny is just rife all the way through it from top to bottom, you know, and the police are on the side of white supremacy, as we'd call it now. So that's not in the film, but it feels like that that's what's going on. White male supremacy. So the character of Mace, to me, is the person who's the moral centre of the film, the ethical question that lands in the film from both of those two narrative lines which resonate between each other and she embodies. I think the, the, the bit where it all comes to a head is where you know, we've got the point where you've got the two different storylines and they split up in order to resolve both of them. Uh, Lenny's going off to save Faith. Mace wants to blow the whistle on the murder of, of Jericho. And Lenny's just completely oblivious to even, you know, he knows, he knows about the murder of Jericho. He's seen the, he's, he's, he's sorry, experienced it through the technology, but all he cares about is saving faith and he's going to use it as currency in order to be able to bribe for her freedom. And Mace just looks at him and says, and says, how can you possibly be thinking of using it for that? You know, this needs to be um, heard. It needs to be seen. Um, this, this is, this is bigger than you, bigger than any individual. And sort of like checking him and sort of saying, look, come on, like this is, you, you're really not using proper perspective on this. She's checking him all the time throughout the film. They have a, a real big argument early on outside a limo. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I've said to you um, in our discussions before this recording is that I kind of wish that this was this was like a, maybe like an eight-episode-long Netflix uh, limited series or something like that, so you could spend a little bit more time with these characters. And I love this, the scenes with those two. This is particularly the, the, the bit early on, which is introducing Mace's character, and Mace is really annoyed at him and is telling him all of the things that, I, that he's doing, that problems that he's causing it, and all these things. But I can tell that you still love me because you're even talking mm-hmm. to me about it, and all he, really, all, he cares about, all he cares about is that the friendship's still there, which... On the one hand, it's coming from it's coming from care, but it's a bit like it's not it's not adult. It's like it's like my cat. It's like when I when I I'll go go to the water bottle to sort of stop her from scratching the wallpaper. She just looks at me like, well, I got a couple of seconds out of it, and I know you still love me, even if you do spray me with the thing. So I'm just going to keep doing this, and it doesn't matter. You know, sort of like a sense of well, nothing's really at stake here. I can handle the water bottle, and he's just like he's just completely not on the same emotional level as her, and that that sort of. And again, that's kind of the shelter of his privilege. I think that's really well put. The shelter of his privilege, absolutely. Commissioner, there's a clip in here that you need to see right now. If it weren't New Year's Eve, I'd have you arrested for possession of illegal equipment. Just look at the clip. You want to know who killed Jericho? You go into that stall right now and hit play. Sir, is there a problem here? Damn it, I knew it. Come on, let's go. Let go of me. So the resolution of the um, assassination aspect of the plot comes through. Lenny set gives gives her the tape and uh, points out this um, high-ranking police official. Strickland. Commissioner Strickland. He's meant to be straight-laced, by the book, all of those things, and a, generally a good person is the implication that's given. And he says, look, give it to him. He's the right person to give it to. If there's anyone left on the force who's not corrupt, it'll be him. And so she does that and corners him in the gents, tries to give it to him. But the thing is, the technology is illegal. I don't know if we really emphasized that when we introduced it, but the technology is illegal. And he just says, I should really arrest you for even having that. And then he has it kicked out of the gents. So very much feels like at that point that, you know, that's it. That's that's not going to go anywhere else. He's got the tapes and he's not going to do anything about it. So that's sort of like what, what you would expect from the tone of the film so far, that ultimately there is no accountability. There is no saving grace that's going to come from above. That's going to come from the state. It's already too far gone. We're heading towards a revolution, a war 
um, an apocalypse. So Mace ends up then going out into the, this is all set in a um, in an open air New Year's Eve party. New Millennium's Eve party. And I think she's just trying to find Lenny, but then the cops see her and start chasing her. She manages to defeat them through fighting because she's an excellent fighter and she handcuffs them to the stage in the third of three different handcuffing um, incidents in the finale (laughs) of this film. And then the, the riot police turn up. And then suddenly everything's changed because you sort of feel like, yeah, this is some sort of payback. She's beating up the bad, evil, murdery cops. But then it's, but then the institution turns up and says, yeah. okay, so what we have here is a black woman who's just beaten up and tied up some cops. And what you would expect to happen happens there. The police start beating her. And it looks like everything's going to go wrong. Then the, a riot starts with the people around who start attacking the cops. And there's just chaos and then you get helicopters coming from above and the uh, Strickland sort of comes down and sort of holds up the tape with like light on him and like a, a winged angel coming down to deliver justice and says these two cops are to be arrested for murder. And um, in the end, the, the cops, um, uh, well, one of them commits suicide and the other one does commit suicide by cop, effectively, um, by trying to kill Mace and just gets shot by the other police. Um, which uh, I mean, I've said this to you privately. I find that a bit weird. It is. It's a you, what you described in the process of getting there to that point where Mace is being attacked by the riot cops. You think, yeah, th- you know, this is going for realism here. Yeah, this is how this would yes. unfold. And then the yes. old white commissioner Strickland walks in, parting of the waves. Everything's resolved. But uh, but I started thinking about that, and I thought, in a sense, perhaps there is. It's, it's not realism it's after there. It's after a certain pragmatism, and he's actually making a point about responsibility, that white male America needs to take responsibility for this misogyny and for this racism that's rife. So it's placing it back, and it's showing that, that there should be that. Whether or not that's the right kind of visceral ending to the film we should be having, it's not realistic, it's not Mace who's ended up you know, being that hero of that moment. It is this white cop. It is an unusual moment, yeah. But I think it is trying to make a point about responsibility. And that's about as much as I can do with that ending, Matt. I see I see that. At the same time, it does imply that the oppressed have no agency. If the moral becomes about the responsibility of the white male establishments who take responsibility for the actions and fix things, it implies that only white males in the establishment can do anything that the only source of political change comes from from those people which i don't feel like that can be what the film's trying to get to Uh, for me the key comes with um, another weird move that happens later um as as this develops so you know mace has been saved by um by strickland um lenny finds her and they sort of like they have you sort of these closing moments they're sort of talking talking together making sure that they're all right they're gonna meet each other downtown as they get put into police cars. And then Lenny just sort of stops, because although, you know, chronologically we've not dealt with this yet, but Lenny sort of manages to get over Faith. His arc is complete on that. And then he just goes up to her and kisses her. And that is the first time there's been any on-screen romantic engagement between other characters, at least the way that I read the film. They come across as um, deeply close-felt friends. It's a buddy cop film. I think, uh, no, I've got to disagree with you. At least from the from Macy's point of view, 
there's there's a kind of like flashback to to when she first meets him, you know, and he's this lovely guy looking yeah. after her son, cop, yeah, looking after her son. And you've got this, this sense that she keeps looking at him longingly and everyone seems to know she's kind of in love with him. There's a there's some moments when they're together in his flat in the night between the two days. I don't know. I don't I don't read that. I'm not saying that you're wrong to read it like that, but I don't see it that way. I think that what's going on there is she is desperate for him to be a better version of himself. That's I agree with that, but I do think that anyway, carry on. I don't think it's romantically charged. I think it's platonic. You know, and platonic's not a negation. Platonic feelings are, are their own positive thing. And she feels a real obligation to him. I think that that's clear. Because you know what's what's happened there is that you know presumably her husband um, has has done some crime. I don't think we're told what the crime is, and she's absolutely distraught. She goes into the house and there's just police there. Um, the place has been torn apart, and Lenny has been sheltering the child from that and protecting him from that trauma as much as was possible. And they clearly got to know each other through after that, and he's sort of looked after her, and she feels this sort of obligation. But he's become very toxic and dependent has, upon yeah. her. At the same time, and she's, you know, she wants him to get his shit together. Really, we can do the explicit flag for this episode. I think it. I think we needed that. Um, and it all really hangs on, you know, which way this interpretation goes. It all really hangs on this scene where Lenny's talking about how, even though he recognizes that faith isn't good for him, that it's over, that it was kind of toxic anyway, that it's not stopping him from wanting to help her and do right by her, even though. It, She's, you know, an overall net negative on his life. And he says to to Mace, have you never felt any like that about anyone else? And she says, I can't remember the exact words, but she just answers in the affirmative. And I feel like that about you because you are yeah. a negative impact on my life and you need to get your thing sorted. But the way that it's delivered, it doesn't come across romantic to me. It's not coming out of, if there's a longing, it's a longing for him to be a better friend, to be the friend that, he once was and the friend that she is to to him and i just um i don't read that as romantic at all it's, and you know it just happens so quickly as well he's gone from i'm over her to suddenly oh no now i now i like the leading lady and it it just feels it feels like this isn't going to be my final reading but it feels like what happened was a producer saw it in a, a late cut and said no you've got to have them kiss at the end that's how these films end and it just feels like something takes over and they kiss each other it's even a very awkward kiss as well which i i interpret as the actors resisting this violation of their character <laughs> all right I, I need to come on to the onto this kiss because i i really don't see that reading at all and i'll tell you why i don't see that reading because what happens when they kiss it does something really really interesting it cuts to a mm-hmm. shot of a policeman kissing one of the rioters which is a is a version of that old um life magazine photograph from VG Day Vic- Victory over Japan Day in 1945 at Times Square so what you've got there is a resonance of kisses going back in I'm going to say it I'm going to say it in a mise on a beam of kiss within kiss within kiss, like these Chinese boxes going back in time. You know, everyone's out on this square. There are loads of people about. There is a kind of resolution going on there. And so maybe just to kind of reaffirm the point you're making, perhaps you can read that back into that kiss, that it's not, perhaps even the kiss isn't even romantic in that way then. Perhaps what's actually going on there, just like that kiss with the Navy officer and the girl, at Times Square, it was a kiss of 
thank God that's over. Thank God, you know, the world is not going crazy anymore. Thank God this has been resolved. Yeah. Not, it's not romantic. It's not platonic in that, in that sense either. What it is, is relief. I, I mean, the things that you're saying about the, the, the sort of the filmic context of that kiss, I think that's good. I don't remember it myself. I must have missed that. But I'm going to disagree. I'm kind of going the opposite way. I think that that is patently a romantic kiss, no matter how it's being used. And, and I think all those artists' things are probably true. You know, it's a keen eye there. Uh, but no, it's a, it's a full-on end-of-the-film film noir kiss. You know, head's tilted back a little bit. He's suddenly, uh, the way that the shot works, he's dominant within it when he's not been dominant throughout the entire film at all. He's in control of that. It's the first time that he's been in control of anything in terms of the interactions between those two. He's not even been in control of himself. You know, it's a very traditional um, Hollywood ending. This is a you know really dark toned film. It's really pessimistic about the chances of humanity and things. And I I feel like with the film, you it, it's sort of running towards that point where Mace is just getting murdered effectively and just about gets saved by the fact that a riot starts. This sort of really chaotic, grim, awful ending, and then suddenly the film starts to, rather than carry on the narrative that it wants to tell, the film starts doing what we want it to do. Our own um, desire for the film, which is what, you know, as Hollywood spectators, what we want is for the nice white man to come and save the day, which he then does. And we want the leading boy and girl to get together, which they do. The film suddenly does a a U-turn or a reverse ferret, and it suddenly becomes the Hollywood film that you kind of want it to be. You want this darkness to stop, and it's this fantasy that, yeah, you know, things can have a happy ending. And I, I, I just sort of read that, that that there is a there is a contradiction there. There is a an inconsistency in tone, but I, I think it's deliberate, and I think that it tells us more about what we want. That uh, what we want is so unrealistic. <laughs> you know what we want. The, we want really the riot good. to just go away. We want it to just stop. We want the old white man, whether it's a, whether it's a Trump, a Biden, or a Corbyn, to just come in and then fix everything and everything be fine and make it that simple. Mm-hmm.